My name is Leonidas, and this is Informed Dissent. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode three of Informed Dissent, the podcast where we push back on the culture of groupthink and challenge the narrative. Okay, so I was actually going to do a different topic this week. But in light of what's been happening in Wisconsin and the continual racial division being driven by many people, I thought I'd go ahead and discuss my problems with racial identity and my vision for what I would call a post-racial society. So I did a short video in an accompanying blog post a couple months ago entitled Racism and Where We Go From Here. So this episode, with the same title, I'm just going to expand on those thoughts a bit. And I don't know, I've been feeling, I guess, a little disheartened lately because, man, we just can't get away from it. As soon as the fires even start to let up in the slightest, here comes something else that the media uses to throw on more gasoline. It feels like such an uphill battle and to see so many people deceived and falling for these traps every single time and just either unable or unwilling to see the truth is frustrating and politicians and the media just so irresponsible and they won't stop they just keep fanning the flames of racial tension whatever they can do to stir up discontent without any regard whatsoever for the consequences just absolutely appalling behavior ideas like America is a racist nation and that systemic racism and oppression are huge problems that we're facing that are woven into the fabric of our society. The consequences of people believing these things and subsequently behaving as if they're true are extremely, extremely destructive and it's tearing our country apart. I've said many times that the obsession with race as the primary aspect of identity will only drive enmity, especially when that identity is rooted in grievance. If you have a racial in-group and a racial out-group, and your group identity is rooted in grievance, the only outcome can be hostility toward the out-group. That means that if you view being black as the primary aspect of your identity, and that automatically makes you some kind of victim, then that means you view being white as the primary aspect of someone else's identity, and that automatically makes them the oppressor. And that leads to enmity. We're told that the world is made up of victims and oppressors pretty much every day. Well, I should say victims and oppressors, and then victim allies and race traitors. That's me. And these categorizations are drawn along racial lines, obviously. It is now the year 2020. And here we are, still treating race as if it is a person's most important feature. Well done, guys. You've managed to champion the antithesis of the civil rights movement. Congratulations. Instead of marching toward a world that Martin Luther King envisioned, where content of character is emphasized much more heavily than skin color, we find ourselves pursuing a world where skin color is what matters more than anything else. Where everything that you do And everything that is done to you is viewed through a racial victim versus oppressor lens. 
black children and white children were supposed to be holding hands as brothers and sisters, unified by a common humanity. But the regressivism of the radical left has decided that this is the exact opposite of what needs to be accomplished. The ideas of the woke and wokeism have become so progressive that they're actually regressive. It's amazing how they've accomplished this. So many people are clinging to a past of racial injustice and attempting to drag that past into the present. I have theories for why this is, but ask any self-respecting psychologist and they'll tell you that living in the past is never healthy for anybody and doesn't lead to positive outcomes. Yet people do it, and it's widely accepted and often encouraged. As if something terrible happening to my grandparents before I was ever even born somehow makes me a victim as well. How does that work? Let alone something terrible happening to my great-great-great-grandparents. Look, if we're going to get past this and have true unity in this country, we have to learn to let the past go. We learn from it. There are lessons to take from it. We strive to not repeat it, but we don't live there. At some point, we have to embrace the idea that we're all Americans now. We are our own individual people forging our own path. History is a mess, and that's true no matter where you look in the world. But it isn't us. We are not our ancestors. We have to recognize that if we're going to call ourselves Americans, then the history of America belongs to all of us. And that means all of it, not just pieces of it. You can't just pick and choose which pieces you want to identify with and leave the rest for other people. No, all of it, the good parts and the ugly parts. And the only way we can do that is if we understand that we cannot take credit for the good things that happened and that we should not take blame for the bad. We embrace it all as a part of who we are as Americans. When Martin Luther King envisioned little white kids and little black kids holding hands as brothers and sisters, that is what he was talking about. A country where race just doesn't matter and we can move forward together as one people. So, as you probably notice, I like to discuss psychology a lot, and we'll do quite a bit of that in these podcasts. But one psychological concept that keeps coming up in these discussions is something called the hostile attribution bias. And you might be able to guess from the name, but what it is, is a cognitive bias where a person believes that other people are being hostile toward them, even though their behavior is ambiguous or innocuous. That person attributes hostile intentions to them no matter what. And an example of this might be a person that walks by giggling and the hostile attribution bias may cause you to believe that they're making fun of you. And that's why they were giggling even though there's no evidence of that, and there are a multitude of alternative, more probable explanations for the behavior. Now, we all do this from time to time. We read context clues incorrectly. But if it's something that you do constantly, then it's a bigger issue. You can see how such a cognitive bias can create big problems. There was a police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin on Sunday. I'm sure most of you are familiar with what happened. As of now, most of the details are still murky, and maybe more will come before this is posted. But as of now, there is a couple videos on social media where it appears that a man named Jacob Blake 
had some sort of scuffle with police. He appeared to have a knife, though that isn't certain. Uh, police attempted to tase him unsuccessfully. Blake began to walk around a vehicle as officers followed him with their guns drawn, yelling commands. Blake casually continues to walk around the vehicle, ignoring the commands, opens the door, and reaches inside. It was at this point that the police officers opened fire. And like I said, details are pending as of this moment, but we do know that he had a warrant for his arrest from a domestic case. He has a history of assaulting police and a sexual assault on his record. And as far as I know, Blake is in serious condition, but he is still alive. Now, this shooting sparked immediate protests and riots and looting and setting things on fire. You know, the usual. A police officer was even hit by a brick thrown by a rioter and knocked unconscious. Just absolute madness in Wisconsin. And the politicians came out in mass. Celebrities came out in mass. All of these people bemoaning the lack of respect for the value of black life, calling for justice. And of course, promoting the usual slogan, Black Lives Matter, the toxicity of which I addressed in the first episode. Now, I just told you that the details of the case are pending. We don't know very much. We don't know what prompted the episode. We don't know if he had a gun in the car. We don't know. What we do know is that the guy had a record and a history of doing some bad stuff. He wasn't complying with commands, even after being tased. He may have had a knife, and he walked away while guns were pointed at him and reached into his car. And from those details, somehow, these ridiculous politicians and celebrities came to the conclusion that this man was shot because he was black. Are you kidding me? It's so poisonous and pervasive. It's like a malignant cancer at this point. Just... This obsession with seeing every single thing through a racial lens. I mean, all of the possible explanations for what happened here. And just the very fact that we don't even have all of the details. And the fact that the details that we do have point toward the shooting being justified. Should, at the very least, give you pause before you leap to such a horrific conclusion. And it is a horrific conclusion. To accuse somebody of being racially motivated in a shooting. That's a horrific charge. That's extremely serious. People could go to prison for murder. And what if you're wrong about that? Are you okay with sending innocent people to prison? No, we don't need to think about that. Racism is the first place these people go in their minds. No other explanations are relevant. The only thing that matters is race. And therefore, we must attribute hostile intentions to the police officers and assume, without evidence, because we don't need it, that they were motivated by race just based on their skin color. Huh. Now, what is it called again when you make judgments about someone and treat them negatively based solely on their skin color? Yeah. I mean, who needs facts, right? It's the same thing that happened with George Floyd. There was no evidence of racism, still isn't. The same thing as what happened in Chicago, where it turned out that the cops shot a guy who was shooting at them. I mean, at this point, it's just a delusional, psychotic mass hysteria where the truth of what actually happened just does not matter. People's minds were made up a long time ago. 
all driven by a completely out of control, hostile attribution bias. Everything is racism because everything is viewed through a racial lens. We have got to get away from this. So I mentioned earlier that I have theories for why people are doing this. And I don't pretend to be a mind reader, but I think we can make some logical deductions here. If race is the primary aspect of a person's identity, if that particular racial identity is rooted in grievance, and given the fact that identity is extremely important to people, there is likely a fairly strong incentive to maintain grievance in order to maintain identity. Grievance and racial identity cannot feasibly be separated. And that's true no matter what race you're talking about. Look at the grievance identity of white supremacists, for example. So, once grievance is taken away, so is racial identity. Your whole identity is gone. That would explain the hostile attribution bias. It would also explain why there are so many hate crime hoaxes. Which, by the way, did you guys hear about that one last week with that woman that was running for uh, mayor, I think? Where was that? South Carolina? She faked her own kidnapping. She live streamed it, trying to draw sympathy votes or something. I mean, who does that? I always wonder if they like rehearse first, like run their lines. Like, okay, I'm going to scream, right? And you're going to say, get out the car. Like, oh man, mental illness, dude. The mentality you have to have to do something like that. I don't know. But seriously, look, people who make race the primary aspect of their identity have a strong incentive to cling to grievance and to have others see them as righteously aggrieved because their identity is directly tied to it. So it doesn't matter what the facts are. Any excuse, any opportunity that surfaces that allows them to reinforce their identity as a victim is taken and promoted. Don't get me wrong, I think people like this 100% believe that they're being oppressed. I don't think they're pretending at all. Even the hoaxers. I think they're just trying to validate it, but they do actually believe it. But it's similar to how a, a woman with anorexia, for example is absolutely convinced that she is disgustingly fat and needs to lose weight. And she will take every opportunity she can get to reinforce that view of herself. She will engage in hostile attribution bias and believe that others also view her as fat and that they are talking about her flaws and how overweight she is behind her back. Or if someone makes an innocuous comment, she'll interpret that as that person not liking her because she's fat. And it doesn't matter that there's no evidence of any of that at all. The facts don't matter. She is completely unable to view reality as it is and unable to separate being fat from her identity. Racial victim mentality is exactly like that. The other piece of this are the activists who are seeking power. Now, power struggles are a little bit different, although it is all intertwined. There are many people who seem to be trying to recreate the 1960s and elevate a new civil rights movement. And this is mostly younger people, a lot of my generation, uh, millennials and Gen Zers, who have grown up romanticizing the struggles of the civil rights movement and all of those involved with it. And what has happened is that many of these people are engaging in a type of cosplay or live action role play where they don the costumes of their heroes and attempt to carve out a similar spot in history for themselves. 
AOC and the rest of the squad stand out as perfect examples of this. AOC herself has even said that fighting things like climate change is actually fighting systemic racism and is like a new civil rights movement. She has said this. So what happens when you idolize dragon slayers and romanticize their suffering and you dress up in their armor and wield their weapons only to discover that there are no more dragons to slay? What do you do then? Well, you play pretend. You create fake dragons to slay and then go tell everyone that they're real. It reminds me of that episode of The Office where Dwight is bragging about killing a werewolf. He's like, I shot one once, but by the time I got to it, it had turned back into my neighbor's dog. Same energy. So here we are. Our republic hangs precariously in the balance as a whole movement builds determined to tear everything down because, you know, racism. It's like those who came before us managed to take a mess of blocks and create the greatest tower to have ever existed in all of human history. But many of these progressives on the left want to play Jenga to supposedly fix it and make it better. The way to actually make it better, to have actual progress, is to leave racial identity behind in the history books where it belongs. We have to move past it, and we have to stop allowing everything to revolve around it. Otherwise, we will continue to make the same mistakes and continue along the path of racial divisiveness, tension, and enmity. When you make race the primary aspect of identity, there is no other option. If we truly want unity, we have to let it go. We cannot pursue a world where people must apologize and atone for sins that they never committed or claim victimhood for horrors that they never experienced, all based on skin color. Or a world where race itself is weaponized and used to attack and intimidate or serve as leverage or emotional blackmail or to decide who can and cannot participate in a discussion or have an opinion. We cannot allow ourselves to dehumanize others based on the color of their skin and see them as little more than impersonal cogs in a machine who must be reshapen, reworked, or destroyed altogether in order to improve our society. We cannot allow ourselves to tolerate double standards where racial animus toward one skin tone is acceptable, but the same behavior toward another skin tone provokes outrage. Phrases like white guilt and white fragility need to be forever destroyed. We have to see each other as individual human beings and not put so much weight on arbitrary group classifications. You can't fight racism with racism. That's the bottom line. When people are getting fired from their jobs, having their lives upended and their reputations destroyed due to assumptions about their character that are based solely on their race, how exactly is that different from what people claim to be fighting against? When you riot and destroy property and multiple people even get killed in the process, who has received justice? Where was racism defeated? When you advocate for separatism and segregation, how is that unity? When you announce that one group of people are fully responsible for everything that happens to them, and even everything that happens to other people, and that this other group is too weak and inferior in society 
to be held responsible for what happens to them. Where is the empowerment? When you elevate the group above the individual and prioritize skin color over all else, how is that progress? We are going backward. Where do you think this ends when one group is encouraged to feel proud of their skin color and another group is mandated to feel ashamed of theirs? What happens when people harass, intimidate, or actually use violence against others based on having the wrong skin color and the wrong opinions? What happens when people lose their jobs and their livelihoods because someone decided that they should be punished for not towing the racial lines? It's easy to see how despicable it is when you imagine these things with white perpetrators. So then why would we allow non-white people to do it? Why would we allow BLM protesters to burn down businesses, to harass white restaurant patrons, or to scream at white homeowners and demand that they surrender their homes and their property? Imagine if the races were reversed. Why do we allow a black basketball player to make racially charged comments toward a white player meant to suggest that he doesn't belong and pretend like black people are incapable of being racist? Imagine if the races were reversed. Why do we allow colleges to segregate floors in a dorm and make certain areas on campus black only where no white people are allowed to go? Imagine if the races were reversed. These people are doing the exact thing they claim to hate. They are the thing they believe to be fighting against. And this sort of thing seems to be an ongoing trend on the political left. Feminists fight perceived sexism by being sexist. Antifa fights perceived fascism by being fascist. And BLM fights perceived racism by being racist. They are what they claim to fight. In his quest to eradicate evil, Dr. Jekyll became evil itself. And as Nietzsche said, whoever fights with monsters should see to it that he does not become a monster in the process. They think that the way to progress society is to deepen racial identity. I say that we must do the opposite. We must find commonality and unify as human beings. We must work to de-emphasize the importance of skin color, not work to further integrate it with our identity. Because as long as we do that, as long as we obsess on racial identity, we will see our society further deteriorate. It isn't sustainable. We must unite under a common flag and under common ideals and principles set forth by our founding fathers and enshrined in the United States Constitution. Until we can hold hands as brothers and sisters and let go of bitterness, resentment, grievance, guilt, hostility, hatred, and the idea that race determines who we are, we cannot ever progress as a unified, cohesive nation. As long as we're split into groups of victims and oppressors, allies and race traitors, we cannot possibly coexist. Now look, there will always be racism in the world because there will always be evil and hate until the end of time. People will hate you for all kinds of reasons that are out of your control. This is life. A lot of garbage people on this planet. So it would be foolish to deny that racism exists. Of course it does. But that isn't the point. The point is that it's rare and it does not control you. It doesn't impede your ability to succeed 
and it certainly doesn't define who you are. Why would you ever allow someone else to determine your identity? See, people get really confused when I tell them that my identity is in Christ, as well as in who I am as a husband and a father and a writer and an artist, etc., etc. My brown skin is far, far down the list. In the grand scheme of things, it just isn't that important. And I don't care if someone else thinks it is. I don't. They don't get to define who I am. So when I talk about moving into a post-racial era, I mean beginning to see each other as individuals, recognizing the unique combination of traits that span the spectrum of human variation, individuals who are accountable for our own destinies, beginning to acknowledge that our own choices and behaviors determine our outcomes instead of looking to blame others for our own failures, and to own not only our successes, but our failures as well. I mean letting go of this perpetual hostile attribution bias and breaking away from victimhood mentality. I mean forever abandoning the idea that we are somehow responsible for the sins of our ancestors. It means letting go of race as the primary aspect of our identity, as an automatic indicator of guilt or as a deflector of personal responsibility. It means recognizing that the history of this country both good and bad, belongs to all of us, and that we do not take credit for the good and we do not take blame for the bad, but we embrace it all as a part of who we are. It means embracing the true essence of the civil rights movement, building up the next generation by teaching our children that skin color is no more consequential to their identity than their hair color or their eye color. It means leaving the past where it is, and moving forward together, not as black people, not as white people, not as brown people, but as Americans. That's true progress. Thanks for listening. I'm Leonidas, and this has been Informed Dissent. If you would like to help support the show through donation, you can do so at donorbox.org slash Leonidas. D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot org slash Leonidas. I really appreciate that. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, give it a five-star rating, share with your friends. Also, follow me on social media at Leonidas Johnson. And check out my website, LeonidasJohnson.com. And always remember, do your own research, challenge everything. Don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. We'll see you next week. God bless. God bless.